Hey everybody, uh, it's good to be with you again. I'm Heath Haynes. I'm one of our elders here at The Bridge. I'm also part of one of our Heights house churches. Um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm always grateful for a chance uh, to be in the Word together, uh, even though it's kind of <laughs> through these digital ways. Um, today we're officially kicking off our study of Mark. We'll be in Mark for the next few months. Mark is 16 chapters long. We'll cover uh, one chapter a week. So today we're going to cover chapter one. And I just want to encourage you, if you're watching this now and you haven't uh, had a chance this week to read through Mark chapter one and to spend some time personally asking God to reveal himself to you, I would encourage you to uh, take a pause uh, go and read that and just allow the Lord to do a work in you because I promise you uh, by the work of his Holy Spirit and his love for you, he wants to do a work in you that, that is for you personally. Um, so uh, if, you, if you would like to go ahead and take a pause, take a break and, and uh, come back and pick this up. Um, with that being said, uh, you, I also want to encourage you if you haven't watched the intro video for Mark that we put out last week, it's about nine minutes long. And it's just really helpful to give you some context to Mark, as well as some helpful insights in how to read a gospel. Uh, and then it also sets up of how we will be studying through Mark together. Uh, with that being said, um, we're going to study through Mark, not, not studying every single verse as we normally would, but, but reading it through the lens of two important threads we see throughout Mark, two important lenses where we see that in Mark 1 through 8, Mark builds the case for, for Jesus' identity as king. And then in, Mark's, in Mark 9 through 16, Mark lays out the purpose of Jesus going to the cross. And so we'll be pursuing Mark looking at the crown and cross of Christ. What we're focusing on is being adapted from a book by Tim Keller called King's Cross. It's really interesting. We decided to, to study Mark together months ago, but earlier in August, I was about to take some time off and I wanted a book to read. And I was like, I'm in the mood to read a Keller book. Saw my bookshelf. I had a book called King's Cross. Didn't really know much about it, but I wanted to read something about Jesus. So I picked it up. Didn't realize it walks through Mark. Um, and it was just such a, a, a blessing to me, such a transformative uh, work for me as we were praying and thinking about what to do. I, was, I just felt compelled to pass that on to you. So these sermons will be adapted from his book, uh, King's Cross. Um, great, great book. Before I go any further, I'd love to pray for us, okay? Um, God, we just want to surrender this time to you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you uh, loved us first. I thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we are. Lord, I thank you that you did that in Jesus. Lord, I pray as we come into Mark that we would fall more in love with you. Lord, that we would fall uh, more in love with your word. Lord, that we would grow a hunger for righteousness. Lord, that we would deepen our faith. And Lord, that uh, our experience of joy and peace that is in Christ and not just in circumstances would prevail more and more in our life. So, Lord, be glorified in this time. Unify us by the work of your word through the Spirit. Lord, all for your glory and all in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so here we are. We're coming into Mark 1. Uh, so we start with the identity of Jesus. You know, and as you read the Gospels, there's two. There's always two intents. You have, to look at. You, have, you have to look at the intent of the writer, but then also when Jesus teaches, you have to look at the intent of Jesus. So we're going to start off just thinking about Mark and what he's doing here in his in his writing. Mark starts off 
with three strong, inescapable, escalating declarations of the identity of Jesus. So he just starts out with this haymaker of who Jesus is. So let's read this, these verses, Mark 1, 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So before we get to the identity of Jesus, Mark gives us a hint. He says the beginning of the gospel. And maybe you've heard that word before and maybe you've heard it translated as the good news. That's very right. It's very correct. The gospel is the good news. But it's not just any good news. Right. It is, it is, you know, when we think about good news, like my kids think it's good news. And I talk to them at three o'clock and tell them I'm coming home early. That's that's good news to them. They, they like that. I like that. That's good news to me. But this word here, gospel, is bigger than that. The sense of this Greek word of good news is life altering, history changing good news. So just right away, like Mark is like just snapping your attention. Like, hey, man, I got something that is going to change your world. So what is this good news about? Rather, we should say, who is this good news about? And he goes on to say, the beginning of the gospel, right, of Jesus Christ. So it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so then Mark starts building these claims of Jesus's identity by laying out three important uh, kind of designations and ident identifications of who Jesus is. He starts off first with Jesus Christ, and Jesus is his first name. Christ is not his last name, right? Christ is an acknowledgement. It's a, it's a categorical label of who Jesus is. Christ here is the idea of the, the anointed royal figure, another way of saying Messiah. He's the, he is the deliverer that would come to enact God's rule on earth rescuing Israel from all of its oppressors. So Jesus, what's saying, what Mark's saying here is Jesus is not just a king, but he's the king. This is the great Jewish hope. But in their mind, this is still in an earthly sense. Jesus can be the Christ, but still just have an earthly promise. So, so Mark continues, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So he extends beyond the understanding of the Messiah at the time, not just God's anointed king to deliver his people, but this sticks to claim of the divinity of Jesus, not just a king, but the, but the king, and not just an earthly God-ordained king, but a divine king. So he continues, though, he's not done. The third and most extreme claim, the claim of all claims, we see in verse 3, Mark quotes from Isaiah 40. And if you don't know, Isaiah 41 is just one of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. Go and read it. And in the context, Isaiah 40 is a prophecy given by God to comfort. It's a great prophecy of comfort to the people of Israel as they would be in exile in a foreign land in Babylon. And what he's promising, Isaiah 40, is a promise from God to his people that he will come and rescue and restore all that was lost. So this prophecy in Isaiah 40 is God saying, I will come and rescue. So here's the big deal. Here's the big idea. By quoting this passage, 
Mark is showing Jesus not just to be an ordained king, not just to be a divine king, but that Jesus is God himself as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let that sink in. Because that can be lost on us. But it would, be, it would have been so clear and, and undeniable what Mark was claiming for his audience of the time. Tim Keller says it well. He says, in making this audacious claim, Mark roots Jesus as deeply in the historic ancient religion of Israel. Christianity, he implies, is not a completely new thing. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the biblical prophets' longings and visions, and he is the one who will come to rule and renew the entire universe. So we see Mark makes it clear of who Jesus is. He is the promised Messiah, but not just, an earth, but not just a king, a divine king, not just a divine king, but God himself. Who has come to keep his promise. So Mark naturally follows his reference as we move on to Isaiah 40 to introducing the ministry of John the Baptist we see. Just as the prophets cried out as the precursor of the coming deliverance from God in Isaiah, John the Baptist cries out for the coming deliverer of Jesus once and for all. And so then as we keep moving through Mark, this leads us to the baptism of Jesus. Read this with me, Mark 1, 9 through 11. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as we continue to build the identity of Jesus as king, there's an important insight here into how we are to relate to Jesus, right? So he's building the identity of Jesus as king, but it's also important that we know how to relate to Jesus, the majestic king. <clears throat> so this moment where we see this come to, come to fruition here is, is when Jesus is coming up out of the water. And it says that immediately... Jesus saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And here is the beautiful complexity of the Trinity. And we unfortunately we don't have time to just unpack that. But that's what we see working here. Um, and because there is one God and three persons, we once again see that Jesus is God and King. So he's reinforcing that. But he doesn't stop there. But we also see something else here. There's a relationship here. It is one of mutual love, of unity, and of other exalting, others focused love. You see, what we see here is Jesus obeying the Father in, in a loving act of obedience in his baptism. We see the Holy Spirit giving a testimony of affirmation. And then we see God the Father speaking a loving affirmation of Jesus the Son. So why is this important? It's important because it is what we are invited into. We should be absolutely in awe of our God and King. And we should, we should be compelled to choose obedience just as D Jesus did because of who God is. But there is something else. There's also an absolutely selfless love 
and all of this. So what we see here is what God is asking of Jesus, he also asks of us. That is that we not just obey God for what we get out of it, but we obey God because he is God, because he is worthy and he is loving. And it is the action of others focused love to offer and ascribe worth in that way. You see, if we only obey when it benefits us, then that is not love. It is selfishness. And, and the, 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 the love that comes from God is one that acts out of interest in the other, not of self. So as we keep moving, and I know we're moving fast, but this is kind of the pace of Mark. Notice that this leads to two verses in, of 12 and 13 about the temptation of Jesus. Satan's temptations that we can read more fully of in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 were ones that said to Jesus, Satan said, hey, do what's good for you. Do what benefits you. Build your own kingdom. Pursue your own comfort. Satisfy your own appetites. Jesus acted out of true love and gave adoration and obedience to God without condition. He withstood the temptation because God is God and he is worthy. That's what motivated Jesus. And we'll see here Satan's temptations and Jesus' faithfulness doesn't stop here. It continues through, through the entire life and ministry of Jesus. And we'll see this again at a really important moment later in Mark 14. We'll get to that in a few months. So Jesus begins his ministry after this, and the first thing that we see that Mark records is Jesus' proclamation of what his ministry is and the calling of his first disciples. Let's read those passages together. Mark 1, 14 through 20. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, <clears throat> excuse me, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So what was the ministry of Jesus? Jesus? The ministry of Jesus was just as much about showing or modeling for us the way of life as it was showing us and being the way to eternal life. So what Jesus says here in this proclamation and, and, and kind of kicking off of his ministry is that the time has come. The time for rescue and renewal is now. The reality of God's kingdom are being realized and restored. And then he says this. He says, repent and believe. So we see it come together there. Repent, you see in the, here, the understanding of this word, repent, is to reverse course, to turn away from something. It's 180 degrees. And scripture played out through the life of Jesus and all of the rest of scripture. Specifically, we see script, uh, repent to be turn away from the things that Jesus hates to the things that Jesus 
loves. That's what Jesus is saying is, repent and believe. Turn away from what I hate and turn to what I love. Jesus is defining the reality, or, or rather, the essence of Christianity in his life and ministry. Keller says this, the essence of other religions is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Man, that hit me just so wonderfully like a ton of bricks. The essence of other religions is advice. Christianity essentially is news. What do, what do we mean by that? Other religions tell you what you have to do in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God or enlightenment or to peace. The gospel says, the gospel of Jesus says, this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. He says, so repent and believe. And when he says repent and believe, it's pointing to the gospel of Jesus, not just behavior, but it's saying repent and believe in the gospel, not religion, but gospel. So we go back. We see that the first sin of humanity in Genesis 3 went the way of religion and that it served and worked to attain by human means instead of living in others-focused love that resulted in relational wholeness and unity resting in the work that God had done. You see that? So they turned to the work of their hands, to what satisfied them instead of ascribing worth to God with their life. That was the first sin that fractured all things. Jesus is saying, turn away from pursuing yourself. The self-centered life that only asks, how am I feeling? Or how am I doing? Or how are people treating me? Or am I succeeding? You know, etc. This only leads to, to misery and destruction. And it's not interesting. What Jesus says is, believe what I have done for you. Believe the relationship I am inviting you into. Follow my way of loving and living sacrificially. This is the way of life that lives out the realities of God's amazing kingdom now and forever. Just as Jesus modeled for us ascribing worth to God and his obedience, he calls us to ascribe worth in our following of him. Jesus says, repent and believe and come under my kingship that brings life, healing, peace, and wholeness. So Jesus says in verse 17, follow me, as he calls his first disciples. I want to read this excerpt from, from Keller's book, so it'll be on the screen. You can read it with me. When Jesus says to Simon and Andrew, come follow me, at once they leave their vocation as fishermen and follow him. When he calls James and John, they leave behind their father and friends right there in the boat. We know from reading the rest of the Gospels that these men did fish again, and they did continue to relate to their parents. But what Jesus is saying is still disruptive. In traditional cultures, you get your identity from your family. And so when Jesus says, I want priority over your family, that's drastic. 
In our individualistic culture, on the other hand, saying goodbye to your parents isn't a big deal. But for Jesus to say, I want priority over your career, that's drastic. Jesus is saying, knowing me, loving me, serving me, must become the supreme passion of your life. Everything else comes second. Everything. Everything. Process the understanding, the importance of understanding the person and intent of God and what he has given Christianity to be. If you think in terms of mere religion, you will trend toward a, a lackadaisical association or a relentless, exhaustive legalism. You'll either claim to be Christian without really believing or living the tenets of our faith, or you will be a fanatic who is too religious and rigid. <clears throat> so what's the solution? What's the, what's the sweet spot for us as we follow Jesus? It's wrapped up and who and how he has already been shown to be, and that who and how Jesus has already been shown to be. Jesus is our glorious God and King who lives in a joyful, self-giving relationship as part of the Trinity, and he obeys out of love and adoration instead of personal gain. Jesus will not be a means to an end. He will not be used. He calls you and me to follow him. Jesus must be our goal. So be a fanatic, but be as fanatically loving as Jesus, as fanatically humble as Jesus, fanatically understanding and generous as Jesus, as fanatically courageous and compassionate as Jesus. And here's the wonderful thing. Again, it's not just observe Jesus and copy him. It is because we are in relationship and relationships change you. You know it. We get to know him. And in knowing him, we get to live and love like him. Expect that. Pursue that. So some questions to close. We see a full picture here of the worthiness of Jesus and our call to follow him like he follows God the Father. Some questions. Have you allowed yourself to be humbled and acknowledge Jesus as king of your life and repented and believed his gospel? Do you believe what he has done for you or do you think there's something left to do? Nothing else matters if this is not true for you. Consider, pray, repent, and believe. Next question. Can you look at your life and identify areas where your obedience and offering are more for you than they are because God is God and because he is worthy? Bring that to the Lord. Don't be afraid to be honest and let him expose to you all that you are in our, our glorious, uh, messy humanity. Last question. Jesus says, follow me. Do you live a life of daily surrendering your priorities to this invitation? Will you pray with me? God, you are our God. We thank you that you sent Jesus, Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that he came to be the way and to show the way. 
Lord, he came to restore relationship and outer relationship to show us how to live and to invite us to live into freedom and peace and wholeness. And Lord, to love like you do, to experience your love from you that is a self-giving, sacrificial love. And Lord, to experience the fullness of joy in living a life that is free of concern, of, of just the, the, the entanglement of me. Lord, I thank you that you give us dignity in who we are. I thank you that as your image bears, there is worth that is worth caring for. But Lord, that it rests in your hands. It rests in who you say we are. It rests in a life offered to you. So Lord, continue to work in us as we journey through Mark. Lord, let us let us just fall more in love with Jesus. Let us grow in our understanding of who he is as God and King. And Lord, what your intent is for uh, our life and to live a purpose that flows out of identity. So Lord, we surrender all to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of last questions to leave you with. As God works in you and reveals things to you, who can you share the good news of Jesus with in your life today? Expect for God to want to use that, use you that way. Look for opportunities. Look for people to love well and invite into Jesus. And the last question, what can you invite your house church into in light of what God has revealed to you this week? I pray you are well. Know that we are better together for the glory of God. And God willing, I hope to see you soon. Have a good day.